0: Get we into it. Well,
1: you're involved now as well. So yesterday's show, there was nobody here. You were stuck in an airport in Canada somewhere. That's right. Everybody else was stuck somewhere in Mobile. Steve is stuck in Disney World. It was just me. He's sitting here. Stuck in Disney World? Yeah. Well, I mean, he chose chose voluntarily to to go there, but at that point, you're stuck. You're contained within the Magic Kingdom. So it was just me. Um, So the draft show from yesterday didn't happen, but it's going
0: to happen today. Um, With PFF's number one draft analyst. With
1: PFF Seth. Seth Galina is going to help me talk through some draft stuff. Good news for Seth is there was some actual NFL news between uh, the last show and this one. So we get to start off talking about that. We're going to talk about Tom Brady's second retirement, uh, the coaching hires that have been made, and then we'll get into some draft conversations. Uh, We're going to talk about edge rushers largely today. Will Anderson, obviously, from Alabama, being the the primary guy we're going to focus on. But before we get into that, um, just, you know, some nice little... Talk about what happens in your life. You know, you get stuck in an airport. I almost witnessed the end of the world yesterday as a substation that's literally 50 feet from my front window. Caught fire, I guess, but looked like it was about to explode. Um, And the noise out of this thing was insane. You, You look at the sort of news reports now. There's one of them that has pictures of it from the middle of the city, from like here. It takes me 20 minutes to get in from my house to this office door to door. And there's a picture taken from somewhere in the city center of like light in the sky of this thing going up. It but like absolute nuts, green like bright green light. Yeah, I mean, I, I, look at that. That's all it off in the
0: distance. That the
1: source of that was literally 50 feet from my front door
0: no um, it really you said this to me uh, before but so i'm going to steal your point here but it really does look like in ghostbusters when the they they let the trap go yeah they let the, the containment unit go right and then um all the pink goes up in the sky that's the same thing that's exactly what it was like and like there's videos about it you can find on
1: twitter and stuff they don't do justice to the noise this thing was making like, I didn't realize until looking out the window what the hell it was. It sounded like somebody was running like an excavator right outside the house. <laughs> and there is, there is construction, like on the next street over. So I'm like, have they... Because we lost power for a minute, obviously, as well. And I'm like, did they? Did those idiots like run over an electric cable or something? Is that what happened? And then looked out the window. And I was like, oh, no. Uh, Actually, the end of the world. we're about to die is <laughs> what's going on over. here. Um, but then they shut it all down and we were fine. Weirdly, so apparently like 2000 people lost power or something and we didn't despite being 50 feet from the thing so i don't know like everybody that way or something must have lost power and this way is is a different subdivision or whatever i have, I have no idea how that works do but. you
0: want me to explain s- substations and yeah, how power works do. no i can't oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> i don't know anything about i figured that you story. were that, i figured that was no, somebody you would say no <laughs> right? and we could end it there and i wouldn't have to look like an ass no but.
1: i was i was actually curious so <laughs> yeah that'll learn you um, <laughs> other thing we need to point people to, we are still raising money for the uh, the latest charity thing. I've been working this morning on actually the, the logistics of getting the thing done, uh, but it's my pinned tweet at PFF underscore Sam. We'll throw the link into the description of this podcast as well. We are trying to raise money for Meals on Wheels. Uh, how much have we got raised right now? We've got $1,740. We have the $2,000 goal. Obviously anything above that is fantastic as well. Once we get that done, We are going to film Steve try and replicate rugby skills as given to us by professional rugby players. I have that in the works right now. I'm trying to work on a kind of, uh, I figure like a uniform sponsor as well. You know, I was just going to buy him like a training jersey from somewhere. But I'm like, no, you know, let's see if we can get a team involved in this and actually get him some real swag. What
0: skills are we talking about?
1: Uh, it's a little bit TBD because they're busy. You know, the Six Nations starts, I think, this week. So I'm kind of like, here's roughly what I was thinking, but go nuts. If you've got any ideas, fire it in there and I'll take whatever you can give me. So I'm thinking uh, spiral pass from the hand at yeah. a target because, you know, you got to hit something with it. Otherwise, what's the point?
0: I, I believe in Steve for this one. I do. For I just do.
1: the spiral pass.
0: I believe, getting,
1: I believe he can spiral. Uh, I can do it. I think he can do it. Because it's getting more tricky from that. Then the <laughs> next one is a drop kick. I don't believe in correct. Correct. Uh, claiming the high ball. So, you know, but carry like being on. lifted, though. No, no, no. Like, oh, oh, just claim the high Yes, yeah, I get it Boot that, up yeah, in okay. the air. Ball's coming down. It's going all over the place. You got to go up and claim it, you know, from a height, which he should be, have an advantage of. But whether he can track the ball or not is another matter. Um, I forget. Oh, uh, a sort of scoop and score type of deal. Somebody kicks the ball through grubber kick. It's bouncing all over the place. You got to run through, pick it up, dive over the line, score a try. Yeah. (laughs) So you know, there's and then plus anything else they throw on tape. But those ones in particular, I think, is where we're starting with this. I we could do the line out thing, but that involves getting like five other people involved. And no one can,
0: no one's gonna be able to lift Steve. Well, that's hence
1: the five other people, and that's just too much hassle for my liking. Uh, But anyway. You want to see that? Go to the uh, the link, my uh, pinned tweet at pff underscore sam, or the link in this description. Donate money. See Steve look like an ass. All right, you want to get into the uh, the news?
0: I was riveted by the idea of Steve looking like an ass. Mm. So,
1: well, I looked like an ass the last time, so it's his turn. That's true. Uh, Tom Brady retired again, February the first again. Man's like clockwork. Finishes the season. Does whatever he does to recover. And then February the 1st, it's like, huh, it's time to make a decision. And for the second year in a row, the decision has been I'm retiring.
0: Not leaked, though. This is correct. Correct. That's true. Last year was leaked. Mm. And conspiracy theory is that he only came back because it was leaked.
1: Yes. Well, there's so there's did he come back uh, because it was leaked and to essentially, you know, give Adam Schefter the middle finger? Or did he come back because he just got the itch again? Decided he wanted to give it one last go around. I can win another one. I've only got this number. I can get one more. There's always one more. Or, like, what was the reason he actually came back?
0: Well, I mean, I, I think it's probably the second thing you said, it which does is just seem... like you, you get to a point where like it is all you know. Yeah, and you know the thing with Brady was after last season, he, it looked like he could still play. Now. A year later, we're thinking about it very differently because of of how bad they were this year, yeah. in offense in Tampa Bay. But you know, a year ago, it was like, well, he can still throw the ball, uh, you know, 100 yards, and he still got velocity, and he still got all the stuff. He's still making the right decisions. He's still playing quarterback at a super high level. This year feels completely different based on what we saw in 2022, and I think that's where I, I don't I don't think it he's going to come back again.
1: No, but it, the the thing that makes it so weird is that I mean, who knows what was happening in the man's personal life? But it does kind of seem like it does kind of seem like deciding to renege on retiring cost him his marriage, and for that season, that feels like a pretty crappy bargain.
0: The yeah, the well, look clearly like this was going to happen no matter what. Like you know, you get to a point like I'm going to play the role of marriage counselor right now (laughs) but (laughs) you know you you if you're at the point where this is like the thing that's like the breaking point it's because there's a buildup of so much other stuff like I don't really believe in one thing breaking point um especially if you're Tom Brady and and like your wife you know Giselle knows like you're a football player like you're going to play football and, in crazy. The fall, and you're and you're a psychopath like yeah. you know what i mean like you've got into that so i don't know if that like that's the the reason why the marriage broke up um him coming back there's probably <laughs> probably a lot under the surface there so then the second- let's get into that though what do you yeah. think is the yeah, real yeah. marital issues between giselle and uh from your own experience
1: well as you said you know it's probably not one thing having said that if there is a straw that breaks the camel's back saying no i'm done now i can spend time with you and then actually 40 days later (laughs) joke no i'm
0: back how how that would probably do it how bad do you think it was in the house those like 40 days or whatever because like it's probably it's probably like you know the first week he's there (laughs) doing the dishes and cooking and all that stuff 10 days later he's like it's just like i'm back i I can't i can't deal with this anymore Yeah, yeah i think that's probably how it went yeah yeah
1: okay Um, but then the second question is it took 40 days last time so does he stay retired this time or in 50 days is this another conversation where actually he's like you know what the 49ers look like
0: they have a Super Bowl situation I could do that I feel like I do you believe that Tom Brady thinks that he wasn't the issue in Tampa Bay right like do yeah. you believe that he's like okay you well give me give me Shanahan yes. give me those receivers obviously the receivers are still good in 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 Tampa give me um he blames other people for sure probably the coaches yeah i was going to say probably you know the play calling with leftwich right. and the offensive line not being what he probably thought it would be even in like the middle of august right yeah. when all the injuries happened and and all that stuff so I think there's a there's definitely a chance that he really believes in in something else. Maybe it's like, hey, again, if it's I, 49ers I, with all the weapons surprising. they have. Did,
1: I mean, the way that the, all these lunatics operate, you know, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, all of these guys, to be as good as they are, they almost have to have this blinkered, pathological belief in themselves to the exclusion of reality. And that's why they always linger too long, not not long enough. Like the fact they always hang on two or three years too long because they can convince themselves that something else was the problem here rather than like the self-evident truth of, you know what, I just suck now. And Brady doesn't suck now. So no. for him to take just a small step back, I would imagine it would be, I'd be amazed if he wasn't
0: thinking, I'm still fine. This is somebody else's fault. I just don't know, you know, watching him this year, I, I thought so much of that was on his relationship with the offensive line in terms of, not like off the field, I just mean like on the field, like he did not want to stand there, Yeah, right? And it's like, okay, well, how many offensive lines are like, you know, five strong, you know, left to right? It's like the Eagles, right? Like that you could go to and like feel comfortable in the pocket. You know, San Fran's got some issues on the inside. Obviously you have Trent Williams. You're good there, but he had but he had Tristan Wirfs on the other side. So mm-hmm. okay, uh, certain the Raiders certainly don't have an offensive right. line that you would feel comfortable with. Even though you, you'd have other things you'd like, Josh McDaniels, Devontae Adams. So like, I just don't know what team that would make sense where he would ag- again look like even even Tom Brady 2021. I, I just don't know what team that is again, no. it's, unless it's the Eagles, but that's not happening. There are many. I mean,
1: that that's why I think. It's interesting they decided to do it right as the sort of 49ers all of a sudden may have had a quarterback opening Mm -hmm. with Brock Purdy's injury. And now you're thinking, okay, you're right. They don't have the Eagles offensive line, but they do have the Shanahan offense, the best skill position collection of players in the NFL. And the sort of combination of that, which I think helps the offensive line a ton. You're like, sure, Brady's it's not like you have the best offensive line in the NFL, but you do have one that looks very good because of all those other things. And it's the hometown connection, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's
0: when he decides, no, I'm out. I'm, I'm done. And you are of the uh, opinion that it's it's done? I mean, I'll believe
1: it when we reach March the 13th and we haven't seen an unretirement, you know? Fool fool me once. Yeah. I'm not buying it yet. I'm kind of in the same boat. But mode, then I, like thought, I-, I thought Gronk was going to come back last year, and he didn't. So who knows? Stranger things have happened. All right, are you ready for the biggest Sunday in sports? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57, has all the Super Bowl action you need. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get in on the Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Super Boosts. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern uh, uh, to, to see what prop bet will be boosted. Uh, Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code PFF. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code PFF. Uh, Coaching hires. So let's start off with the offensive coordinator. You you don't want to talk about Arena Football League being back in 2024? I don't. No. Kellen Moore to the Los Angeles Chargers. You as the Justin Herbert expert in PFF. Yeah. What does this do for him?
0: I mean, I think it's pretty good. I think they're still like, they still have roster issues, especially on offense. Offensive line receiving a core is is not what it could be or should be, I guess. But I mean, it's hard to like not look at Kellen Moore's like statistical profile as an offensive coordinator and be like, wow, this is really, really good compared to, you know, Joe Lombardi, who even though it was only one stint, maybe two years, 10 years ago with the Detroit Lions, it's not very good. Like there's a dip in the Lions offense, the two years or one year that that Joe Lombardi's there. And then we see it again this year um, or the last two years with the Chargers. So Kellen Moore, I mean, that offense has been incredible. People don't, people for some reason don't want, don't want to believe it, how good the <laughs> Cowboys offense has been for, for while Dak and Kellen Moore have been yeah. You know, Dak's been healthy, Dak's been healthy, and Kellen Moore's been the OC. That offense is like number two or three in the league in many categories, and especially this season. Yeah, I mean, you can go
1: back sort of before you even get to the um, Kellen Moore plus Justin Herbert thing and say, I mean, any process, every team sort of says the same thing, right? We go away, we evaluate everybody, and then we make decisions. Um, Any process that came to the conclusion that Kellen Moore was a problem is Broken. I mean it's wrong. Makes no he is sense isn't. to me. That's nuts. So, I mean, that's crazy. They the Dallas Cowboys have absolutely downgraded at offensive coordinator this offseason, whatever they do, whether it's, you know, some new guy, whether it's Mike McCarthy calling plays, like whatever the new solution is, is going to be worse than having Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. That's mind blowing to me. Like again i don't know where the pressure for this kind of stuff comes from whether that was like somebody's got to get fired because we didn't do what we wanted to do or if that genuinely they sat in a room they self-evaluated and they were like "No nah, man this guy i mean kellen moore let us down here in which case just like that entire process is
0: absurd it's crazy to me because you know we i know i know dallas fans don't want to hear this but like they lost to the back back to back years in the playoffs, San Francisco 49ers. They didn't score a lot of points in either game against them. That defense is like stunningly good. Yeah. It's stunningly good. I know last week was or on Sunday was <laughs> a little bit of an exception, but like that defense is stunningly good. And so it's not it's not a knock on you when you don't score a bunch of points against a friggin' San Francisco 49ers defense. So for them to look at it as a one, like two two games, basically. They're, that's what they're deciding here. It's like two games where we didn't play well. They happen to be two important games. I'm not saying they're not important games. They are playoff games. But over the course of 30 games or whatever it is, this is an awesome offense. And I'm super excited to see what what it looks like in Los Angeles. I Like I said, O-Line has to continue getting better. Uh the injuries were obviously a problem. You lose Rashawn Slater for pretty much the whole season. He, him being back is going to help. Zion Johnson going into his second year is going to help. Finding some other places um, where you can upgrade, you know, the other tackle spot, um, the other guard spot, um, center. They're okay there, so you know, hopefully that they can fix it there. But then the receiving core. It just doesn't make sense anymore, I don't think <laughs> right like like as a as a as a like skill set type of situation, good players not to like Mike Williams good player can now good player like obviously, but I think you need something more, especially for a guy like Justin herbert i i you know it, it is funny because Mike Williams is such a good player, he just doesn't doesn't seem like he fits what you'd want to do with Justin Herbert now you could always add another speed guy something like that who isn't like DeAndre Carter or whatever but I think that they need need an upgrade there and then you're also just getting to a situation where I know I'm kind of getting off top of it but you're also getting to a situation where it's like okay what are we going to do with Keenan Allen at some point we can't like he's going to get to age 30 or whatever he is and we're going to have to make a decision there and people are talking about this year maybe it's over like he could be a, a kind of a cut casualty and a lot of interesting decisions there. But this one was a good one.
1: Yeah. And, and the most interesting thing to me, I think, is that we're finally going to get an answer of how much of the sort of weird, conservative-type approach to Justin Herbert has been something that's inherent in him and how much of it has been like forced upon him by the offense. Because a guy with his skill set and with his ability to make absurd throws and crazy big plays should not be leading the league with the lowest turnover-worthy play rate in the game for two years running. It just shouldn't happen. Like, I'm not saying that turnover more turnovers is good, but a guy that talented should automatically be taking more chances that ultimately leads to like being good, but not the best in the NFL at avoiding turnover-worthy plays. Like he should just have more like risky throws in his arsenal. I agree. that that The net result of which is a positive, right? Not that the mistakes going up is good, but the mistakes going up along with the big plays exploding is a good thing. It's a net win.
0: It's also not not even like mistakes in the sense of I misread the coverage. It's really just like I took a chance. Right. Like I, it was like calculated, like I'm taking the chance because I know that if I throw a check down, we're not getting anything out of it. But I have the chance of yeah. a big play if I throw it down the field. And you look at a guy like Josh Allen, who I'm pretty sure led uh, the NFL in turnover plays and big time mm-hmm. throws. And that offense is really, really good. Yeah. So I, I think you you want to do it uh, in that way, like you're saying. I, there's also just like you know, you look at his rookie year and like he was throwing the ball down the field. There was a lot of explosive plays there, and then Lombardi c- come, came in with Staley and. It, everything kind of changed. Uh, sometimes I, f- I feel like Herbert is almost like too smart for his own good. He's like, oh, let me, I can get through all these progressions and I'll throw a check down and that's good. Right. It's like, okay, but you're better than that. Like you can create more than you kind of think you can in, in a certain uh, certain degree. So I'm, I'm excited. I think there's a lot of uh, potential here with Kellen Moore. I think the thing that I like about Kellen Moore is like they've, they've kind of always changed what they are over th- over his time, you know, with Dak Prescott, it's like, you know, conceptually in the passing game uh in the running game too, they've changed a bit. I will say the one thing that the Cowboys have on their roster that the Chargers don't have right now is 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 a good tight end room. They they've had the the Cowboys have been able to really get away with some really interesting stuff personnel-wise and and formationally with the tight ends over the past 3 years. Um, being able to do, be multiple in the run game, uh, do some interesting stuff in the play-action game. Gerald Everett, Donald Parham, that's not a great tight end room, right? Right. So we'll see how the, how Kellen Moore adjusts to his personnel there.
1: Two more hires. Um, Tomiko Ryan to the Texans.
0: What are your initial thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, I, I just talked about how good that Fortnite's defense is. I right. mean, it's, it's just like the, the, one of the best coach defenses in terms of, like, nobody makes mistakes. They match every route perfectly. No one makes mistakes. A lot of talent, especially down the spine, which he does not have now mm. <laughs> in Houston. You're you're hopeful that you kind of flip it and you say, okay, well now, I I my corners in San Francisco were probably my weakest spot, and they weren't bad players, you know. And they obviously they they got Travarius Ward this year, who's who's a pretty good player, uh, Lenoir on the other side. But you're hoping that you're saying, okay, now my best player is hopefully a corner in Derek Stingley, and we can build the defense that way, and hopefully it works out. There's a lot of work to do, but at least to a certain degree, you got a clean slate. You got to, you're right. going to pick your quarterback, you're going to pick a lot of players um, to to fill out your roster. You're going to have to do it your, themselves. Everything everyone says about D'Amico Ryan's is that he's a good he's a leadership guy, culture, that whole thing. So that seems to be you know, a check, and then... He's been talked about for a long
1: time as one of these sort of young coaches that was obviously on this pathway, like being a head coach sooner rather than later. I'm excited to see what he can do because this is the start of this Houston Texans project, whatever it's going to look like. Like, they've been treading water for years now till they finally got rid of Deshaun Watson. Now they can actually deploy the kind of resources that they they claimed from, from trading him away, They get to take their quarterback at the top of the draft. Maybe we'll see if they have to give something up to jump back up to the spot that could have, should have been theirs anyway. Um, But I think Ryan's is a really interesting guy to sort of lead that project. Then the last one is Sean Payton to Denver with obviously the complicating factor of the trade that involves in getting him, which would not have been possible, I don't think, without shipping off Bradley Jubb to get that first-round pick back.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe they give the first-round pick in 2024, which I, I say this as a Saints fan I would have rather had that pick, because the Saints are getting back like pick thirty, I believe. I I don't think the Broncos are picking. I think the Broncos are probably not <laughs> picking in the thirties next year. So I would rather that. Like I said, just as a Saints fan, but like you know, Sean Payton, uh, the, his resume is stellar. Yeah, there's no like, and it goes and it goes further back than just New Orleans, didn't, right? Mm-hmm. You know the. Great offenses with the Cowboys, taking Kerry Collins to the Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator uh, with the Giants. So that I always think with those with these type of situations, it's like, hey, Giants OC check, Cowboys OC check, Saints you know Oslies, it wasn't the OC but like play caller right. and head coach check. Now do it again. Yeah, it's like that's that's the thing that always scares me. The resume is perfect, right? Like you can't get you almost can't get a better resume. Do it again, buddy. Right. But I think
1: it is worth pointing out that, like, because I think a lot of people just go, oh, yeah, he was great, but he had Drew Brees the whole time. Well, okay, two things. Number one, there's a reason he got that job in the first place where he was great without Drew Brees, albeit as a coordinator, not as a head coach. And then his record with non-Drew Brees Saints quarterbacks is insane. Like the guy wins almost regardless of who the quarterback is. Um, Sure, you can say, I mean, obviously, anytime you pair a great coach with a great quarterback, it's going to be fantastic and it's going to look better than it would otherwise. But his resume does stand up even without the Drew Brees thing. And then the second thing I think, though, is this might be the hardest job in the NFL figuring out how to fix what we just saw from Russell Wilson.
0: This This is why someone asked me the other day, like, so the other day literally yesterday what um which job like i would prefer the texans or the broncos and it's you almost want to say the texans because you have got a clean slate you kind of mold the team in your image whereas in denver it's like it's a very specific task good roster though right however you have this glaring. Um, it feels issue like here. it feels like those
1: kind of scenarios you get in like football manager games or like you know <laughs> yeah. video game where it's like here's this ridiculously random specific. You've got seven games left. You're down by four points. You just lost your star striker, and you need to win. You know, eighty percent of your remaining games to win the title. Go. That's like that's yeah. what has just been handed to Sean Payton. It's like we have a Super Bowl caliber roster, a great defense, uh, receivers. We got everything you want. Russell Wilson was great, not so much anymore. Fix it. Yeah. Go.
0: And I'm of the opinion that I don't know if there's a fix here. That's right. That's the problem, right? Like, what would you like? I understand that we have so many good years of Russell Wilson play, but you get to a certain age, and I don't think at some point quarterbacks after 33 or whatever, I don't think you recover anymore. And also, I once it, once that drop happens, I don't know if you like, can get back to Obviously, it. he's been sort of on the
1: media tour this year um, and he was on Colin Cowherd's show a lot and he was asked about this a lot. It's like, you know, how would you fix Russell Wilson? And, you know, so people point out like, oh, he told you how he'd do it. And if, if you listen to him sort of say what he would do, It's not the most detailed fix in the world. The same thing that every guy has said how they're going to fix Russell Wilson for the past five years. It's like I would look. No, but he's like I'd sit and I'd look at what he did well. I'd go through the concepts. I'd find out what worked and I'd I'd run more of those. And (laughs) then I would ask him, like, you know, what what was he comfortable doing? And I'd run more of those. And then we'd build more of those types of things in the offense. As as
0: if bevel and schottenheimer right. and hackett didn't say the same <laughs> like, things but
1: also if if that's like two things
0: like that's yeah, not that, an option. that's, the, thing, like. that's the, the the flip side it's like you can't build a whole, whole offense out of like go balls and stick rights right like that's, that's your problem. problem
1: so it's like okay that was what you say on coward when nobody's really going to challenge you about it or, or like say well okay let's give me a little bit more detail on that you know now you actually need to do it for real and I don't know if there's an offense to be built around what he's doing well right now. But especially
0: now, if he's not gonna be accurate anymore. And he's not gonna be able to do stuff he did outside the pocket. Yes. Like if you're not getting all that stuff, then like what what is left to be built here? I, I mean, the only sort of shred of uh
1: optimism is that like late in the year it looked a little bit better. Like there were some flashes of old Russell Wilson. Um not much of them, but you know, like early in the season you're like, wow, this is just not there anymore late in the year there were a couple of plays here and there you're like okay maybe so I'm, I'm interested to see it the other great thing from his point of view obviously is you know it's denver they're owned by the waltons they've given him a six-year contract with presumably many zeros attached to it and even if it all goes to hell in year one who cares? <laughs> that's a good payday once they fire me. So you know, there's yeah. always that.
0: Uh, the th- that uh, um going back to D'Amico Ryan's, I think he also got a six-year deal, which is like yeah, that's a new. <laughs> uh, that's thing. Good, but good for him though because Absolutely. of what's happened the last two years. Though them them getting rid of a coach in their first year. Hey, are you gonna <laughs> give me that? Give me that money? Particularly
1: with you know there were random sort of rumors at the start of this offseason that Nick Cazario wasn't safe despite not really starting this thing yet. Like, if that's how unstable or on shaky ground this thing is, absolutely get the six-year contract while you can and cash in. Speaking of cashing in, Western and Southern is here to help you fix your money moves. The PFF podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group to the point where they got a plaque on the wall. They've got a mug. They got everything. They got a helmet. I mean, this this place is Western and Southern all over the place. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest, rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. All right, draft. Since Mm. this is the draft show, uh, let's actually talk some draft. Um, We did this the last couple of weeks with Mike. Uh, We built, no, one with Mike, one with Trevor. We're building the perfect prospect based off those kind of components that you see. So this one we're gonna start uh, talking edge rushers. Uh, I got Mike to supply the, uh, the kind of components of this, since, you know, this is what Mike does as the draft guy. And I, I generally agree with his like his breakdown. So we've got frame size, you know that kind of part. We've got explosiveness. I think you can throw speed into that as well. Um, bend that kind of classic pass rush edge rush S, edge rush um, trait of being able to get around guys' weird angles. Hands, how you use your hands to uh, dislodge blocks, get off, and, and get towards the quarterback. And then power, brute strength. Um, so the way we've done this before we go, we build one using current NFL players and then we use, uh, see what the draft class looks like. So current NFL players, I think the frame is probably Miles Garrett, maybe Denell Hunter. These kind of super freak athletes. Miles
0: Garrett is the freak of all freaks, right? right? So hard not to put him in there.
1: So I think he's probably that. Explosiveness, I think, is probably Micah Parsons. That guy's burst off the ball is crazy. I mean, you just watch how he's destroying people for Dallas. Bend, I think, is still Von Miller. Maybe, maybe Michael Parsons is there as yeah. well, but Von Miller was like the archetype for this.
0: That, that you kind of have, kind of. Not, he's still playing at a high level even before the injury. We'll see what happens after the injury. Yeah. But like he is, like you said, the prototype. He's the guy
1: everybody the is bend. looking for when they look for that bend. Yeah. Um, hands. I mean, all of these guys have good hand work. Like that's why they're elite pass rushers. You just you can't really be that yeah. in the NFL without that. Yeah. But TJ Watt is probably the best proponent of that. And then I think power, Nick Bosa's. Just ability to drop down, bull rush, and drive you back to the quarterback is probably as good as any edge rusher in the NFL right now. Thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean it's tough. You know, one of the things is is when you get to this level, and 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 it's true with like any position group when you get to this level, it's like they can all do this checklist oh, yeah. here you can't be a nick bosa unless you have all five i mean you three can't of be, these guys were yeah. defensive player of the year candidates yeah. you can't be a, a von miller unless you can do all of this stuff and, and including you know play against the run too so hmm. um that that's 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 what makes you an elite player all right draft class is pretty interesting so frame tyree
1: wilson from texas tech I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah, he's big. <laughs> he's
0: really big. Huge
1: um, explosiveness. We've got Miles Murphy, Bend Will Anderson from Alabama. Classic. Like he's the guy that we're going to talk yeah. about the most here. Hands Nolan Smith from Georgia, which is good because the guy is tiny and is gonna yeah, need, he's like two thirty five or something. Yeah, and it's going to need those hands if <laughs> he's going to be what, successful. Yeah. And then power Lucas Van Ness, who is at Iowa, right? Yep. Um, so I think that's it's an interesting group of edge rushers this year because we have that just that collection alone is all kinds of shapes and sizes for I mean what I think is ostensibly
0: the same position, but probably not. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting because there's three guys who are like these big guys, like Tyree Wilson, Miles Murphy, Andre Carter from Army are like these like six, you know, Murphy is six five. I think Tyree Wilson and Andre Carter is six seven. Uh, weights are a little different. But yeah, so I'll just I'll just go through them quickly because I think that's Miles Murphy from Clemson. Yeah, Miles Murphy from Clemson. So frame Tyree Wilson, six seven. I don't know the weight, but it's big. He's like 275 listed. I mean, even if it and, doesn't end up but, with 275. And like, they didn't play like you're not seeing him play against like all these amazing tackles, but like he did what he's supposed to do against players who are worse than him, right. and he just bullied them ran the whole through time. Him. Yeah. And he got moves too. Like he's using his moves. He has an inside move, which a lot of guys don't have an inside move. They just kind of go, and they kind of—that's it. So I love Tyree Wilson. I think he's a top ten pick. Miles Murphy is so funny. Explosiveness right out the gate. Explosiveness. He has a a, a long arm move, and then you watch the next snap, and he's got explosiveness. And he's got a long arm move, and he—and then you watch the next snap, and he's got explosiveness. And he's got a long arm move, and then you're just watch, you're like, okay, well, when is something else gonna happen here? <laughs> Nothing really else happens. He's got kind of bend issues he's 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 not very bendy at all like change of direction is not great this is a a one-track pony right now to a certain degree there's just so much to like about everything else but there needs to be more i think um i kind of think i have Tyree wilson uh quite a bit above him bend is anderson just because he's the complete package you kind of could have put him for everything but frame baby right uh, maybe um because he is probably in the smaller side but he's not he's not small but he's not Tyree Wilson or, or Miles Murphy. Um, complete player. Hand usage, I want to add in Nolan Smith, you know, former five-star prospect, really good player, really great hands. BJ Ojolari from LSU is also up there. He's He's got a lot of moves. One of the fr- only guys you're going to see with the spin move, with this, the cross chop, the whole thing. So really like him. Power, Lucas Van Ness, it's, it's insane. <laughs> He just gets on guys, gets underneath guys, two hands, and it just runs them back to the quarterback. But I think I really, I really like this guy. The bend is there with him too. He is an explosive he, again. Like we talked about it before with the, with the other guys. Like he has all these these components to be um, to be a really good pass rusher, man. And the the one thing I will add against the run, Nolan Smith, and I say this every year that I watch Georgia play. I don't understand what Kirby how Kirby does this every year. These guys just, they are murderers. Everybody from that defense is good against the They just hit people so hard. And so, like, I went from watching um, Nolan Smith against the run to BJ Ojolari against the run. Ojolari, good player against the run, no problem. But you see the difference in how they deal with specifically a guard who's pulling to kill them. Larry, and this is part of the scheme, so it's not like Larry's fault or anything, but Larry's taught to kind of go inside of him, kind of like be a little more finesse and come inside and make the running back bounce it to the outside. Mm-hmm. With the Georgia guys, and they've been doing it for years, and Owen Smith is another one, they take that collision and they push that guard back three yards. And it, it's like they're like one of the few teams who does it, I mean them and, and Alabama, it's incredible, Not, and Alabama doesn't really do it as much anymore. It's really just Georgia. They hit people so hard. It is it's super fun to watch, and um, they've been doing it for since Kirby's been there.
1: Yeah, I think this is a fun edge rusher class actually, because there's just such a wide variety of these guys um, and all kinds of different players. Like no matter what type of edge rusher you like stylistically, there's somebody in this draft that fits that uh, template exactly. Um, I want to get on to Will Anderson in a minute because I think he's the the sort of jewel in the crown of this group. But first, I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up football season. It's underdog fantasy in their pick 'em game. Uh, Just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game, or the Super Bowl as it is, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your pick-em entry, get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app, sign up with promo code PFF, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code PFF. Get in, get in on the action today. Will Anderson. Will Anderson is one of these guys that has been talked about as being... Actually, no, before we do that, we're gonna talk about who actually needs an edge rusher in this draft. Uh, Let's start with that. So we get this this team needs season. Um, Obviously, free agency is coming before the draft, so some teams will tick off needs before we get there. It's not a great free agent class. In general. And I don't mean mean for edge rushers. I mean, like across the board, there isn't an awful lot. So. When we talk about team needs now, generally, you can probably assume that it applies to the draft because there simply is not much I think that's going to really get addressed when it comes to free agency depth, you know, additions, rotations, whatever. But I don't know how many teams are like fixing legitimate problem areas with free agency. So I came up with five teams I think that make a lot of sense for needing uh, edge rusher help. Let me see if you agree with them or if you have ones that you think or additions, or subtractions, or whatever. Arizona, J.J. Watt is retiring. J.J. Watt was sort of moved to the interior in in Arizona anyway, but he was their primary source of pass rush. Marcus Golden is a fine pass rusher as part of a rotation. He shouldn't be leading the line for you. The Cardinals, I think, desperately need some pass rush. Atlanta, I mean, they need everything on defense. They had the second worst pass rush in the NFL, second worst pressure rate. They need an edge rusher. Um, Chicago. They had the worst pass rush in the NFL. Nobody on that defensive front was making any kind of hay. Um, they need somebody. The Rams, um, they just they, if they're going to get Aaron Donald back, who knows? But they need to get younger. Either way, they need an impact player up yeah. front, particularly on the edge. And then Seattle. Um, Mchenon Wosu, I think, did a good job this year. He, he was an impressive player. They could really use somebody else on the other side, some other source of pass rush. I think yeah. they equally... Could use just an interior defensive lineman,
0: but I think they definitely make sense for an edge rusher. Yeah, all these guys. Falcons just feel like they haven't had anyone for years. They haven't. Like, like, <laughs> like, like let's go get somebody finally. And, and then the Seahawks, I think it would would help them round out what could be. A, I, I do still believe. I still believe in that defense. I think there's some really good players, but I think it would help them to round out because like Noosa would be a great number two. Yeah, but he's not a great number one. Right. So that's the issue. The Cardinals, like you said, just have no one. Zach Allen's a good pass rusher from the interior, though. You don't mm. have an edge, edge guy. The Rams, by the, end of the, by the end of the season, were playing me and you at edge, so like that's a problem. <laughs> and they were somehow more effective than when they had Aaron Donald out there. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so I agree with all that stuff. I mean, my bias is going to show here, but I do think the Saints are in an interesting position here. Probably losing Marcus Davenport. Probably losing Marcus Cameron Davenport. and Jordan getting older. Cam Jordan not like it might be the 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 final decline right. here for Cam Jordan great career though for him to only decline in his 10th season or 11th mm-hmm. season or whatever so they need Lucas Van Ness they're not going to get him but like. I mean that's the that's the sort
1: of one caveat you're not going to I think fix a unit in free agency yeah. but you might suddenly require players after free agency like the Vikings have Denell Hunter and Darius Smith both I think it was those guys combined for like 150 something pressures either of them going to be there next year like they could lose one or both of those guys yeah. in cost-cutting measures or restructures or whatever um, like they could all, all of a sudden have an immediate an acute needed edge rusher
0: that, that would be so rough for them yeah like they, they can't afford to lose either of those right. guys man
1: um, so I think there's teams that don't need one right now but could actually end up by the time
0: the draft rolls around having a pretty acute needed at, uh, at edge rusher yeah and like the, the thing with edge is like in the draft I'm, I'm we just kind of at this point are pretty sure we have a pretty high uh, hit rate on on draft prospects, just because the, the a lot of the metrics from us from other people kind of um, carry over from college to the NFL. So like you, that's why you pick these guys and you're like we feel comfortable taking them. We know what we're gonna get even if you have needs at other positions, whether it's corner safety, linebacker, whatever.
1: Yeah, it's becoming one of the, I don't want to say easier to predict positions, but it's becoming a position with a high, one of the highest sort of strike rates or or translatable um, skill sets. It's been right from the sort of outset, the position where PFF, like really elite PFF grades translate the best. The guys that have graded off the charts in college have generally become very good NFL players. And quickly as well guys like you know Bosa's and miles garrett and it's not like it's revolutionary the pff was the only person that saw those guys coming but there's it's another data point that says that when those guys are really dominant at this spot in college they translate quickly um so yeah i think there is a degree of comfort for teams drafting edge rushers high particularly um so let's talk about the one we expect to go the highest this year versus last year will anderson from alabama a guy that i think has been talked about since he was there at Alabama as being this guy is going to be amazing. He will be the top edge rusher in his class basically from day one. Um, And he's done nothing in his career to change that narrative. Like he's just been that guy all the way through. First of all, what do you think about him? And then how do you compare him to the two guys from last year? Trayvon Walker, who ended
0: up going number one overall and Aiden Hutchinson, who people thought would, and then ended up going two. Yeah, I think... Like I said earlier, Anderson is really the complete package of explosiveness, bend, hand usage, um, some wiggle. I just sometimes I feel like I'm not seeing it often enough on tape where it's like he's getting into the chest of an off – you know, he's he's letting the offensive, line and, offensive lineman get into his chest or he's getting into their chest, and they're just kind of like mashed up against each other in a lot of reps, and you're like, okay, well, do, do something. <laughs> like just um, – but I seem to be like one of the few people who believe that. So, and I know trust myself enough to be like, <laughs> okay, well that's he's clearly not a good player. Like he's obviously a good player, and and um, good against the run. He, he he shows it. He shows it. I just felt like it wasn't enough. Whereas like when we compare it to to last year's class, like Hutchinson in his last year showed it almost every snap. Like it was incredible, and he didn't have the bend. But he had so much other stuff that it's like it's okay. And I also have this issue with bend at, because it's like there aren't many guys who have the bend that we that we think about when we want to talk about bend. Right. Like it's Von Miller and that's it. Like it's just like there's not a lot of guys who who have that, and that's okay. Like we, you can be a successful player in in the league uh, without having Von Miller's bend and that Ghost Rush and all that stuff. Like it's it's okay. Um, and that was the thing with Hutchinson last year where it was like, okay, well does he have the bend to be an NFL player? Well, he's got everything else. So and it's worked out so far in in year one. The Walker I, thing is that's still, a, yeah, a whole thing. I, I mean, I think it's a fair, I think it's a
1: fair criticism to look at Will Anderson's career given the skill set that he obviously has and say, obviously he was amazing, obviously he's really good. Could it have been better? Yeah, that's kind of why. And that, like, you and that is backed up, I think, with PFF grading. Where, so you look at Anderson's career, and it's been good every single year. Grades of seventy nine up to eighty nine point eight. Um, pass rushing grades have always been good. Sixty pressures, eighty two pressures, sixty five pressures. The pass rush grade, though, topped out at eighty five point eight this most recent season. Now you go back and you compare him to those real blue chip guys that we've been talking about, Nick Bosa. I mean, his worst season was basically that. His worst season was 85.0. His best seasons, or two of them, back-to-back to, back to back with the same grade, 92.5, albeit one of them was was an injury-shortened year. But that's a big, that's a pretty big jump. Like, you, it's just that difference, right? From yeah. real blue chip, can't miss, no qualms whatsoever, he will be amazing at the next level, to, well, you obviously have the same kind of talent, but this is a little bit different. It's a little bit of a gap
0: between what you were capable of and what you actually did that that's how exactly how i feel which is why i'm like i i don't see him as like uh, the, the number one non-quarterback on the on the board right He's close but i don't i don't see him like that and that's kind of the difference and then walker is just like how did that even happen i still can't <laughs> even i don't even understand how one that thing
1: happened. that is kind of fascinating about anderson though is that he has an absolute ton of sacks relative to his pressure rate which In small sample sizes, I think it's generally just a noisy thing. Like sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. The longer you extend out the sample size, the more I think there is – there are players that are somehow good at quote-unquote finishing. Like Chandler Jones spent an entire career getting a disproportionate volume of sacks relative to the number of times he won. When
0: he won, he won to the point where he could get a sack. Um, The the question is always kind of going back to the same thing, which is like, okay, well, how many – channel joneses are there sure but
1: my point being will anderson could offset could be for sure but he could offset a lot he could offset a lot of that gap between him and nick bosa in down to down performance and production if he's one of those guys like if he is a guy who maybe doesn't win as much as he should given his skill set but is more likely to win in a way that actually gets him a sack at the end of it that might bridge that gap and that's the kind of gap that wouldn't necessarily show up in PFF grading, because we're only going to give you so much credit for the sack, even right. if it's a great play.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, that and, and that would that would be the, the the where I would say if that's the case, then he he's back up there as like a top, maybe number one overall type player, right? If you if you can convert pressure to sacks at a rate like like you said, Chandler Jones, for example. And throughout the, the peak years of his career, then then you're a number one pick type of player.
1: So the Trayvon Walker thing is interesting because, I mean, it's a classic. It's the kind of pick that almost doesn't happen anymore. Where no, it's it like doesn't. a throwback That's... to when people just looked at the absurd workout numbers and went draft that guy high, quick, like an Al Davis move. Yeah, where he would just say, "Who there ran a 4-2-4, four two four? That's who we're taking in the yeah. first round." Um, now to to their credit this was genuinely unique. Like there has never been an edge rusher athlete with the composite athletic profile of Trayvon Walker, never. And people kept comparing him to guys like, well, maybe he's the next Danell Hunter who had a really good athletic profile, but didn't have the production in college. Even Danell Hunter did not have the complete check every box physical tool set that Trayvon Walker did. Like genuinely has never come around before. And therefore, you can't point to a guy that has that skill set that has failed. Now, equally, you can't point to one that succeeded either because it's never come around. But it makes it very difficult to sort of outright say, well, this is just an idiotic move. Because the immediate comeback is, this guy has never come around before, ever. There has never been a guy that looked like this
0: physically come into the, the, the league. My, my pushback to that, and I've been, I've been Trayvon Walker-pilled this season. Like I think he's <laughs> going to be a really good player. I just think it's so funny when we look at it like no one was talking about him as a first-round pick. Not We're not even talking about number one overall. We're talking about like a first-round pick. No one's talking about a first-round pick. And then it's just like, you know, we get into this, into this idea once one person says it who has a lot of power in the league, and then it gets to people in the media, and then it becomes a thing where, oh, uh, I'm hearing Trayvon Walker, and then all of a sudden he's on people's mock drafts all of a sudden, like, but it's it's funny to me because it's like you look at it and like all these people who who are doing draft work before draft season. And there's a lot of people. It's a, it's a big, um, it's big industry. They don't have them anywhere. Then all of a sudden someone, you know, what I mean, all of a sudden one of the big guys puts them on the mock draft. And it's like now nah, everyone else, oh, wait, I got to reevaluate this stuff. And like oh, well, yeah, now that I'm looking at it again, I get that was me probably. But I think. It felt like people
1: were talking themselves into Walker in the first round based off like the tape and what he was potentially capable of and all these things. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, people start hearing, you yeah. oh, know, this guy's gonna go high. Yeah, like so not gotta, forget yeah. first round. Like this guy is going to the top five wh- somewhere. And then the top, like the number
0: one overall was coming down, like what? If the if the draft was like the day after the season ended, or it's like February 1st, let's say. Yeah. He goes like 34th overall, right? It, and it's like, w- w- how? Yeah, <laughs> like so. Like to me, the Jaguars like overpaid for that then, because you probably could have got him at like 23 when they had their second pick or whatever. Maybe, yeah. I mean, that, that's weird. always the weird.
1: that's always the interesting part of this is like, if you're that high in a guy, like Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett, yeah. No other quarterback went until the third round. Everybody hated this quarterback draft class. You were the only team that jumped into one in the first round. How late could you have waited? Like, was anybody else going to take any quarterback before the third round? Like, you know, I talked to people in the NFL who said something along the lines of, all these guys stink. The only one that even has a chance is Kenny Pickett. And I don't like Kenny Pickett, but he's just, like, if I had to, if you have to pick one of these guys because you have nothing else and you need a rookie, take that guy. But I wouldn't, you know, bet the farm on it or anything. So it's like, did Pittsburgh simply needing a quarterback, have to take Kenny Pickett at 20, or could they have waited a round? Could they have waited two rounds and still got the guy?
0: Well, yeah, no, that, up- that, again, that, that's exactly where I am with, yeah. with Walker. Anyways, we don't so, have to talk about Walker, but yeah.
1: So I think obviously both of us would have Trayvon Walker behind Will Anderson, and we yes. had it behind
0: uh,
1: Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah. Um, Hutchinson versus Anderson is an in an more interesting yeah. conversation to me, though. Um, I didn't— so, hutchinson was another one of these guys who um i didn't love him as a prospect last year when you were talking about um it was a murphy who everything is the same win every one of aiden hutchinson's wins was the same it was all the inside move Meh.
0: yeah Meh. and it's <laughs> like okay this is great and it works but because you were afraid you were afraid of what I said. You were afraid of could he get around the corner? Yes. On NFL tackles.
1: Exactly. It's like what if an NFL also, if you're never gonna threaten the outside, yeah. like the inside disappears. Like if 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 an NFL tackle is not concerned about your ability to beat him around the outside, he's gonna he's gonna cut off the inside move that you're winning with every time. And then if that disappears, what have you got left? Um But he and he had sort of Pretty extensive career, and then it was only the final season where he put those kind of Nick Bosa like PFF grades and pressure rates and all that kind yeah. of stuff together. But with that added caveat of almost every win was the same. So But there were a lot of them. There were. Um, so I, I mean, I obviously had him as the number one edge rusher in that draft. Yeah. Um, way ahead of Trayvon Walker, but I would have had him sort of a step below. The guys like the Bosa brothers and, and Miles Garrett and that kind of thing so I think it's an interesting comparison with Anderson who I think has a much more well-rounded skill set but actually didn't necessarily hit that one season high of pressure rate and PFF grade that Hutchinson did
0: yeah that's it and like I, I also thought that Hutchinson was better against the run too he really got sure. some knockback when he when he was you know guys were coming to block him um you know frontside runs that I don't, that I didn't see as much with Anderson. Yeah, and but it goes back to me the same thing. It's like, okay, well, is it the Hutchison lack of bend? Did he make up for it in, in enough other ways? And I feel like he did more than than Anderson in the kind of the reverse. He also had the opposite of the Trayvon Walker
1: thing, where he showed up with a preposterously T Rex arm length. Like for a guy, I think, I forget what the actual number was, but I'm pretty sure he and I have the same length arms and he's six foot seven. That's not, that shouldn't happen. That's not, that shouldn't be possible that a guy eight inches taller than me has the same arm length. And when, as soon as you sort of saw that, you couldn't unsee it. Like all of a sudden you're watching his tape and you're like, this guy's body type is ridiculous. 18th
0: percentile arm length. Yeah. I forgot about that.
1: <laughs> right. So all of a sudden, you're like, okay. On the one hand, you've got this super freak that we've never seen the likes of in NFL history that was built in the lab. Yeah. On the other hand, you've got the guy who's a much better pass rusher, just showed up with arms that belong to a guy that's five eleven. Like, what the hell is that? Which which doesn't help again the idea of you're on an island against NFL offensive tackles who have length. Like, does your six foot seven length yeah, immediately get negated with your stumpy little T Rex arms? Yeah.
0: Um, so Did that you know. That didn't help his case i i just finished beating lego jurassic park yeah on xbox and i've been doing a lot of dinosaur youtube watching okay t-rexes contrary to jurassic park Uh not blind in fact probably had very good eyesight well they weren't blind in jurassic park they were supposed to be blind to 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 like movement what's basically
1: like, yeah. Anyways, the point is they have very bad eyesight in right. Jurassic Park, and Which, that's Which by the way, true. when you think about it, makes no sense, <laughs> no right? Makes because no most sense. of the things in the landscape are stationary objects. You're telling me that they can't see the mountain standing in front, like the tree that they're understand. about to walk into if it stays Great still. Great plot point though. If there's no wind, right? This yeah. thing is just going to barrel headfirst into an oak tree? <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh a big it is a big brain, a big and and actually like um when you look at fossils of of T Rexes, big eye sockets. Yeah. So clearly a big optic nerve, I guess. I don't know. I'm right. making stuff up here. Anyways, <laughs> good plot point, not a real not a real thing.
1: Well, only a good plot point until you think about it for three seconds. You're like, hang on. That 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 doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: So no, they all would have died. Like yeah. they all would have been like you know, Alan Grant would have been like <laughs> Don't move, and then that's it. The end of
1: the movie would have been. there you say, would have
0: John, yeah, just goes down
1: the line, munches on the line, yeah, yeah, that wouldn't have gone well.
0: Yeah,
1: um all right, let's move on to Will Anderson against Jalen Carter. So, edge rusher versus interior defensive lineman or interior pass rusher, because that that I think has become an interesting topic point in today's NFL. Like, what if you can only have one? And obviously, if you can only have one, is not a good starting point necessarily. But if you can only have
0: one. Do you want the edge rusher or do you want the interior disruptor? Well, it, it's it's like obviously you know you can hear the way I'm talking about Will Anderson where it's like if I'm gonna pick between these particular two players like I'm I'm gonna lean Jalen Carter he's like unblockable he's so good, um but then then I think the more interesting discussion like let's say they were equal prospect like you said is like where do we go from here and it's like that is a is probably still edge right now. But I don't think it's that far of a gap. Yeah. And I can't get over the Eagles last week just dominating because of the, the, because the, the 49ers had to play a not very good interior tackle. You know, Eric Armstead, a good player. Whoever they played next to Eric Armstead, not a good player. That's the difference in the game. Yeah. I mean, Javon Kinlaw got annihilated <laughs> yeah. in that game. It's bad. Um,
1: conversely, you've got the Eagles who have like the best pass rush in the NFL. I mean, without one of those superstar guys, like Hassan Reddick's been really good this year, is a really good pass rusher, but they don't have a Micah Parsons, a Nick Bosa, a Miles Garrett, a Chris Jones. Like they don't have one of that real, real top tier guy, and yet they have as good a pass rush as anybody. I think that's like that's where you come down. Like if you have one and nothing else, it it doesn't matter. Yeah. (laughs) Miles Garrett with his defensive line in Cleveland, it doesn't matter how good he is. And to the point where he gets completely ignored for defensive player of the year, or whatever. That I mean, those awards come out next week, but he won't he win. He was
0: great again this year. Right. He has he I think is.
1: as good a case as Nick Bosa or Micah Parsons. Yeah. And he will that will not be reflected in the awards or the results. Um, Aaron Donald, we've seen for years, that as a one man band, okay, he can take over games, but can they find anybody that can work alongside him? Chris Jones this year. Um Again, defensive player of the year caliber season, but George Karloftis, Frank Clark, Carlos Dunlap, like those guys aren't bringing enough to the table. It, it's not necessarily enough in, in games where teams take him away.
0: Yeah, that and like we're getting to the point where it's like tough to just like you said, just be a one, uh, you know, a one-trick D line. Just got to have depth on that D line. You got to be able to take on blocks, different type of blocks. We're playing with light boxes, doing all that stuff so like it's important like li- like all the all four of them and now we're seeing five you know like right. the, you talk about the eagles eagles play a lot of um five down defensive alignment so it's like you got you just got to go all the all the way through it and then you also have to add in having safeties and linebackers and corners and nickels and like that's that's the problem with defense right, right?
1: So it sounds like, generally, you're a little bit lower on Will Anderson than, I guess, the general yeah, perception. Yeah, I think so. Um, top
0: 10 pick. I'm not saying he's not a top 10 sure. pick. Sure. Yeah.
1: Uh, and then you have Jalen Carter from Georgia, who, you know, to level set for anybody who hasn't got around to college guys or whatever yet, um, Jalen Carter was obviously the best player on last year, yeah. 2021's um, Georgia defense, which was arguably the best defense that college football has ever seen. Like the one with Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker and (laughs) Kobe Dean and uh, Quay Walker and everybody else they sent to the NFL. Um, Like Jalen Carter was the best guy in that defense. Like everyone was talking about all these first round draft picks and how amazing this defense was. And then also sort of saying, but by the way, the guy that isn't in this draft is the best player in this team. That's how good he is. Yeah. And he proved it this year. Yeah. Without all those guys on the team. Like they sent half a defense to the NFL. And A, the defense was still amazing. And B, Jalen Carter was still every bit as good despite not having sort of whatever that support structure around him looked like.
0: Yeah, because he just has everything you want in these kind of modern defensive interior guys. Like Chris Jones, when I watch him, it's like, and there's similarities there. I think he's obviously leaner than Chris Jones. Right. Um, But it's like the ability to go both ways. I think that's, and then Aaron Donald is, is, I can talk about Aaron Donald in a second, but like what these guys have for me is an inside move that's better than anyone else. Like it, to have the quickness to not just say, I gotta go on the outside shoulder and I just gotta live with that. And I maybe I have some hand moves, maybe I have some explosiveness, but like that's kind of all I have because I don't have that lateral quickness. These new defensive linemen, or the top ones, have that Um, in Chris Jones and now Jalen Carter. I was thinking about this, but the difference between Donald, what makes Donald like the best player of all time, maybe, is that yes, he has the lateral quickness, but he's so good. He's like an edge rusher in terms of his hand usage and everything on the on like just getting to the outside, like on guards and stuff like that. With the explosiveness, is second is second to none, really. So I think that's really where um, where I see the difference in these kind of new class of edge rushers, and I think Jalen Carter is is that player, man. Yeah, Donald's hand usage has always been insane. Like
1: dating back from like to the when he was a prospect. Like that's that's the thing more than anything else that people overlooked when he was what the 14th overall pick or something. It's like he was dominant in college, and everyone just looked at size and 285 pounds and were like, "Well, that's not gonna fly in the NFL." And it probably wouldn't if all he had was that speed and quickness. And but he always had. The ability to immediately shed a block with hands Incredible. and just get people off him. And that's exactly the same now. Like, if you ever make the mistake of leaving him one on one, the second he realizes he's one on one, immediately ragdolls the offensive yeah. lineman to the side and takes after the quarterback. Like, I've never, ever seen a player with such an ability to instantly rid himself of a block just with hands. Instantly. It's insane. You can't touch him. Right.
0: (laughs) It makes no sense to me. And that,
1: like, that isn't, I mean, it's clearly not just a strength thing, right? Because I'm sure Aaron Donald is an extremely strong man. He is. He is not stronger than Vince Wilfork or, like, whatever gargantuan nose tackle you want to talk about. It isn't simply a uh, product of I am stronger than you. I will grab you and throw you out of my way. Like, there's technique involved with it that Aaron Donald has, A, mastered, but B, was always great at like that's a like that's why it's one of the traits on on runners kind of build an edge thing and and the same thing applies for interior guys but like it's why it's important.
0: Yeah, he he's getting to the point where like you said like he's not up for, he had a great season again this year. I don't like no like I know no one paid attention because like the Rams were useless this year and had all the injuries and it was more off the field stuff that we were interested in there but like he was great again. And he's getting into that category where he could he could win the award each year. And um, it just depends on does he have team success. So they've had team success in the past, he wins the award. He doesn't this year, he doesn't win the award, but he was just as good as uh as he's ever been, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's
1: a fair thing to say that this is probably the worst season of Aaron Donald's yeah. career, or certainly the first since his rookie year, and it was still it was still like a dominant outing. Like dominant. He, he had 40 pressures in whatever it was, 12 games. Uh, had a pass rushing grade above 90. Had an overall grade above 90. Like he was still a dominant force, but it was a little bit of a step back from the last like what? Eight years of absurd play. Yeah, I do think that like Aaron Donald quote unquote only having three defensive player of the year awards when if this is the end of his career or if he doesn't get any more is a product of like voter fatigue. And, and yeah. we we collectively, like we screwed him. He should have more than that. I mean, he has the same number as JJ Watt, but his career peak is twice the length. That doesn't add up. Like at some point we just decided to stop giving to awards stop give, exactly. to Aaron Donald for no reason.
0: <laughs> that's, uh, that's the fatigue there. I, I also think just, I uh, don't wanna derail this with talk of, of- player of the year award uh, specifically defensive player of the year award but like we really don't do a good enough job of of evaluating and like you know obviously we're trying here at pff but we're not perfect either it's just like evaluating coverage play because like there's there's guys who've had great coverage years who deserved player of the year but it's so hard to like have the stats for it right that it's so obvious that they are where it's like it's like you know when you get sacks when you get pressures they're so binary did you get a pressure on this play or not and I, it's like we yeah. see it where it's like did you cover the guy or not is so broad right i mean i think generally one of the hardest things in football and this
1: is obviously relevant to the draft is nothing operates in a vacuum everything has four or five confounding factors involved in it or influences in it and trying to strip out all that stuff is really hard and it's not possible. I mean, it, it isn't like w- as much as we try to the best of yeah. our ability. That's why the draft is still like a 50 50 proposition. It's why, you know, sometimes you end up with weird statistical results when you start doing that, like it, you can't strip out everything yeah. from one thing because it's always
0: interconnected. So uh, but that's why edge O-line D-line is probably because the closer right. you get to like just a pure one on one. But even yes, it,
1: absolutely. Yeah. You're right. But even then, you see the like when the criticism of chase young it's like well, where, where was he in that wisconsin game right and then you go and watch the wisconsin game and you see him being like legitimately triple teamed every play yeah, exactly. it's like that's not him going awol yeah. that's they showed up and decided that no matter what happens he will not have a sack in this game and you can do that at any time you want in college or the nfl but obviously it changes everything else you want to do like Remember when Jared Allen was chasing the sack record one year and he got within like a half sack of it? I think he did it against Chicago. Like he needed two sacks or something against the Bears to beat the record. He got one pretty quickly. And then the Bears decided, we don't even care about the game anymore. <laughs> Allen is not breaking the sack record yeah. in the in the rest of this game. So the rest of the game became about the Bears offense not letting Josh a- or Jared Allen get a sack. So they double teamed him, quick game, like everything. That's like, again, so the statistics change, but Allen or Allen didn't the, like the offense changed, and the, the things affecting Jared Allen changed in that game and the same like with Aaron Donald and JJ Watt at his greatness like generally speaking, those guys did not change throughout their peak. What happened is every now and again, the team would roll up there and go, we are changing the other
0: factors around you. Every time I... I Think about tennis. I'm not a big tennis guy. I, I watch. I watch when the Canadian is doing well, and they've Canadian tennis is very good right now. Um, so I don't know much, but I look at a sport like tennis. Or so it's a good starting point for an analogy. Yeah, um, tennis. Uh, I, I like you talk about like video games where it's like a one-person thing, like esports. I watch a lot of StarCraft, so like that's a one-person thing. The the same guys always win. Right. And tennis is obviously the best example because the same three guys have won for the past 20 years, right? And then I think about it, like, the issue with team sports is like, okay, well, now you're not by yourself. Aaron Donald wins the football game every time he plays. Yes. He wins the game of football. More than anybody else. More than anyone else ever. But he has one Super Bowl. You know what I mean? He has losses on his resume because it's part of a team sport. But, like, he never loses. He never, like... It, and so like, this is like always the hardest part thing to do with team sports, is trying to suss out the individual.
1: Yeah, and it's also why I think, whatever about sort of comparing statistics for era and things, it's why it's impossible. Like, so Aaron Donald is gonna go down as one of the greatest of all time. Um, and you start then comparing where does he stack up next to Mean Joe Green or Reggie White or whatever. Like, obviously you can do it by tape, if you have the tape but if you go back and watch the last few years people are treating Aaron Donald vastly differently to the way they treated him in the first three years of his career right once it became pretty obvious that Aaron Donald was not just good but like unstoppably destructive now you get these situations like you watch him play the 49ers it like he there's literally no chance that he can actually make an impact because Every time there's a real pass play, the ball's out in yeah. one second. Yeah. Every time there isn't a real pass play, he's being double-teamed. Like you know what I mean? So they're literally structuring an entire game plan so that he physically cannot make a play. So when you start then compare, well, okay, he came out of that game with with almost no stats. Yeah, but. <laughs> he didn't play worse. you know Exactly. I mean? just he, he always plays at that level. But then when you go back and you say, well, how many times did that happen to like Joe Green or yeah. Reggie White? Like what did the game plan to stop Reggie White look like for his career? Did they just, were teams good enough to do that at that point? Was there enough adjustment on the table? Like you hear sort of people talk about what happened when Lawrence Taylor first rocked up. And it's like he was so destructive because there was no adjustment for that right it's just we haven't even considered that there was a guy good enough to make our dude on the left look ridiculous like what do we even do about that like oh well i guess we just let him destroy the quarterback every time and figure it (laughs) out later like i don't think i mean i'm not saying that lawrence taylor wouldn't be a great player or anything now but i'm saying that the nfl now is a lot better prepared to slow down a guy like that over time than it was in the 1980s and presumably even more so in the 1970s. Like, so when you're comparing these all-time greats, not only do the stats have to be adjusted for era, but you probably also have to change your notion of what was like, possible in terms of opposition adjustments. Like, Teams are way better equipped to take away Aaron Donald or JJ Watt than they were back in the 70s,
0: 80s, and 90s. Yeah, the football especially is the worst sport to compare that's it that's the end of my sentence (laughs) just to compare different eras i mean the game is so drastically different because it's because of the structure of the sport it not being a fluid game i would say you know what i mean by that obviously yeah um the sport has changed in immeasurable ways whereas like there's no difference in the There's very minor differences. And if you watch a soccer game, if you watch a hockey game, even basketball, three point line, obviously, you know, icing and hockey, uh, red line and hockey and stuff like that, I I get it. But for the back pass in soccer, like there's minor tweaks that have changed the game, but like football changes on a year to year basis how this sport looks, I I find. So it's hard to compare. So dragging this back to Will Anderson against Mm. Jalen
1: Carter, um, where does, I'm not saying where does Jalen Carter stack up next to Aaron Donald, but you know how how sort of a generational type prospect do you think he is
0: coming into this draft? Yeah, I think he's pretty close to. Well, he's going to go one, right? Overall, I I, I don't know how. Like, I, I'd be okay if the if the Bears like traded back, but if they're not going to trade back, I don't love them taking a quarterback to be so honest. So if
1: Chicago's stuck at one, they should yeah. go with Jalen Carter. I, I think you
0: just go with Jalen Carter. I think again, it's like we we're pretty sure of what uh, of our college to pro projections. He fits, checks every box. He's going to ch- help your defense in a measurable way. not the thing is, it's like, yeah, like, I get it. Like, defense requires a lot of uh, players throughout the, the 11 on the field. Guests are somewhere, though. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you got to I mean, get at least one
0: g- good player.
1: I've been working on the basis that I think there's almost no chance the Bears actually use that draft pick and number one overall and pick. Um, I think, I mean, Obviously, it happened some years like last year where Jacksonville had one. They had their quarterback in Trevor Lawrence already. They weren't going to
0: pick a quarterback, and there wasn't one anybody that's, loved. That's the difference, right? right? This year, you can trade back three spots and pick up a whole bunch of draft picks. So
1: not right? just that. there's There are quarterbacks people like this year, and number, the other thing is the team sitting at two needs one. Yeah. So anyone else that needs a quarterback has to get to one to take theirs. So if you're the Colts, and the Colts have the added – incentive of wanting to get above the division rival. But like if you're the Colts or the Panthers or the Raiders or whoever the hell needs a quarterback, you probably have to get to one to get the guy because there's too many that are going to get picked in that top five. So I just think there's too many things set out for the Bears to be able to trade that pick for a freaking monster haul and potentially still get a Jalen Carter or Or even a Will Anderson Anderson or whatever. Like You're fine with that. Yeah,
0: Uh, That's 100% what I would do if I was – if I was the Bears,
1: yeah, hundred percent. But you think that the Jay- if they
0: were to stay there, I think you can take Jalen Carter and not, and there's no problem.
1: Or even just, I mean, independent of if they're stuck at one, like Jalen Carter essentially should be the first defender off the board
0: in your eyes. Yes, yes, I think so. Yeah.
1: All right. So that's our uh, edge rusher slash Aaron Donald eulogy show. <laughs> eulogy. Um, we're gonna be we're gonna be back tomorrow, and then also Friday. Um, tomorrow. 100% sure what the show's gonna look like yet. Obviously, we don't have games to preview, so that's that's a good four hours worth of show for me and Steve <laughs> taking, taken out of taking off the table. Um, but we'll we figure can it out
0: preview. Uh, you know, USFL season starts soon, Six XFL Nations. season starts soon, Six Nations. <sighs> We can, we, can we, can re- we can review Manchester United versus Nottingham Forest that's mm-hmm. happening today. We yeah. can get Steve to send in a, a little travel missive from Disney World, you know, find <laughs> out how it's going. We can review Steve's itinerary. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So there's a lot of things we could talk about. Anyway, we will be back tomorrow. Um, thanks for tuning in today, and we'll We'll see you later.